Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. This morning, we have a preacher who probably has traveled further to preach to you than anybody we've ever had before. His name is Edward Johnson Mukomasi. Did I do it right? That's fair enough. That's good enough. All right. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. Uh, or as he likes to say, <laughs> I'm Eddie. Yeah. So welcome him to our pulpit. Yeah. yeah. Thank you very much. Um, <clears throat> So before we start today, uh, our, our sermon today, our message is from Luke chapter 3, from verse 1 through 22. <clears throat> but before we, go, before we dive into that, I would like to tell you a little bit about me. Is that okay? Yes. Um, so my name is Eddie. My name is Edward Mukomazi. But since we're in the U.S., uh, Eddie sounds cooler. So, <laughs> so I stick to that. My name is Eddie. Uh, I am from Kampala, Uganda. Kampala is the capital of Uganda. And Uganda, believe me or not, is in, is in East Africa. Uganda is in Africa. The reason I want to emphasize that is because one time my mind was opened when I told someone I was from Uganda, and this person was like, hmm, I thought you were from Africa. So now I want to make that clear. Uganda is in Africa, okay? Um, in Uganda, I was born like any other child in Uganda. Maybe here it's different, but I was born like any other child in Uganda with a father and mother and, and all that. But that didn't last long because somehow my father found out that I wasn't his son. So he announced it, that I wasn't his son, and, and they parted ways with my mom because of that. I wanted to ask questions when all that was going on, but I couldn't because I was only four months. So I waited. Now, as I grew up, yeah, you get the humor there? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so, uh, as I grew up, I, I asked questions. Uh, but I was asking my mom, how did it happen? What went wrong and all that? So she told me all she could, and I, I wasn't, I was convinced from her, you know, story, but I always wanted to hear from, from, my, from this guy, the, my dad, that gentleman there. And it was like a dare to me. I dare him say to my face. So, one time when, when everything was right, I was able to corner him into this conversation against all advice I got. But we were able to, I was able to, to get him in a corner somewhere. And he said it to my face. And then I wished I didn't ask him. But he did. He said it to my face. And so I was 
I had nothing else to ask. I heard his story. I heard my mother's story. And I rested assured uh, that that was the reality. And then I concluded that I wouldn't blame any of them because I put myself in his shoes. Uh, my, my mom had seven kids, uh, and all together we have four fathers. So I was like, maybe he has a, maybe, maybe he has a reason. And, but then I'm the youngest of the seven. She never had any other kids beside me. So I, I just learned to live with it. But uh, as I grew up like that, no father, uh, I wasn't an orphan, but I was fatherless. And that's, uh, it was hard growing up like that. But uh, it meant that my mom would have to, to bring me up on her own. And she really, really, really tried. But uh, because of how kids get expensive, you know, when a kid starts growing up, like the more they grow up, the more expensive they get. So she, she had to provide basic needs for me, but also provide an education. And she could, she could barely afford any of these two. But now she had to choose. We had to choose one. And we talked about it, and we agreed upon it, by this time I was 10, that that academic year, when I was 10 years, would be the last year I would be in school. So we agreed that after that year, I wasn't going back to school. I was dropping out. So we agreed, and the year ended, and we, we both knew, and I, I, was, I, I think I was okay with it. But her friend, she, has a, she had a friend, he actually just passed away last year. But this friend of hers uh, had, has uh, a car garage. He repairs cars. So he offered to take me in, and I would learn fixing cars. I would start that when I was 11 the following year. So we started preparing for that, and just, it just happened during that time when that we heard about Good Samaritan. Well, she heard about Good Samaritan and took me there. Good Samaritan is this orphanage. It's a home. It's called Good Samaritan Children's Home. They help kids that are orphaned. And also kids like me who are not orphans but uh, needed help. So she took me there. She explained however she could, and they took me in. So from, from age 11, I was in, I think it would be grade 4 here. Good Samaritan connected me to very nice people that I never got to meet. Most of them were here in, in the U.S., people that offered to share the little they had to sponsor an Af a poor African child that they never met, they did not know at all. And I think some of you are still doing that. So 
uh, at a certain point, they told me, uh, the sponsors you had stopped, and now you got new sponsors. I was like, yes. I continued. And at another certain point, they told me, you got new sponsors. I said, good. I didn't ask where they're from or because I was going to school, this was already a miracle. So by the grace of God, in 2013, I graduated from high school. I say by the grace of God because it was the grace of God. It was a miracle. People that know me never thought I would finish high school. I never thought I would finish high school. My mother never thought I would finish high school. But now I finish high school, and I went back home. But at Good Samaritan, they always told us, hey, you're, go you're going to get out of here. You'll go back home. If you're lucky, things will work out, and you, you, you might be able to find a life outside. But always remember, if things fail, come back home to Good Samaritan. So I went, I went home. I tried to, to handle life as a man, and I tried and failed. And I, when I realized things were not, were not working out, I told my mom, you know what? One of these days I'm going back home. So we, we, uh, we, we, we kept in that... Uh, I kept trying, but also thinking about going back home. And one time I just called them and I said, hey, I'm coming back home one of these days. And at one time when all, all the stars were lined up and everything, I went back home. And they received me. Now, it wasn't just me. There was many of us there. Ch African children that had finished high school and were back at Good Samaritan because they couldn't go anywhere. And during that time, now that's me, uh, Patrick and I were part of that. There was many of us. <clears throat> during that time, Scott and his wife and a few others happened to be visiting. And when they saw the need, they offered to help. So they, uh, somehow I got selected with Patrick. So they chased us down and put some clothes on us and shoes and brought, brought us over. Yeah. Yes. <clears throat> Yeah, thank you for clapping. <laughs> and today, <clears throat> I'm proud. I'm proud to say that uh, I just graduated from Kentucky Christian University. Yes. Yes. Uh, Chris was going to show that. I was trying to stay humble. But... <laughs> but, but I was uh, convinced that I should... Now, one of those, I think the one on the far right is, was midterms this past semester, and this is my final, uh, final, final grade. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So that's uh, 
That's a by the way. But I just graduated um, just a few weeks ago with a bachelor's degree. Now, I, I already told you it was a miracle for me to finish high school. Graduating from college is a bigger miracle. Yes. And as um, I, I mentioned yesterday, that I'm still thinking of the best way to express my gratitude to, to, to God, first of all, but also to Scott and this church. Because God uses people. And for me, God has used this church. Um, people that know me think about these things. Okay, me being in the States, having my degree from the States, me finishing high school, me finishing, graduating from college, people that know me look at these things and praise God. I know that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to say I'm really, I'm really grateful uh, for, for this opportunity, and I'm really, really grateful to this church and Scott and all the people out there that pray for me and, and do all they can for me to be what I am. So all that being said, let's get to the main reason we're here. Open your Bibles with me, please, if you have them, in Luke chapter 3, starting from verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, if you didn't bring your Bible with you, but you have your phone, you can look, look that up. Google has it on there. Yes. So, this passage talks about John the Baptist. This passage talks about John the Baptist. And many times, when we hear about John the Baptist, the first thing that comes to most people's minds is the way he looks, the way he talks, the places he's hanging out in. And many times, we tend to focus on that weirdness around him. You know? We tend to focus on how he says his things and we forget, or not forget, but our attention is taken away from the most important thing about John the Baptist. Now, the most important thing about John the Baptist is not how he says what he says, but what he is saying. The most important thing is what he is saying, the message, not how he brings it, not how he's dressing. Now, that, that might be important for some other time, but do not miss what he's saying. See, um, what is going on here? God had promised something many, many years ago, hundreds of years ago. For instance, we know that the prophet Isaiah might have lived at least 700 years before Jesus. Now, in Isaiah, God, God promises something. And we know that 
It is being fulfilled when John the Baptist showed, shows up. Right? So, keep in your, in your mind that something is being fulfilled. And whatever John is saying is that thing. Okay? Now, let's, uh, let's understand also that to understand everything that is going on in this, in this uh, day and time about John the Baptist, we have to understand that there's two things going on. There is a time and there is a figures. Time of fulfillment, because we know something is being fulfilled. So there's a time of fulfillment, and there, there are figures of fulfillment. Fulfillment. That's, that's the word, fulfillment. So, open with me, if you're already there, John 3, uh, 1 through 6. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was the tetrarch of Galilee, while his brother Philip was tetrarch of Ituria and Traconitis, and Lysanias was tetrarch of Abilene. During this year, the 15th year that we're talking about, the high priest was Anas and Caiaphas, two high priests. Okay. During this year, the word of God came to John the Baptist, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around, around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, he went around the country of Jordan. He went, he went all around the country around Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance, just as it is written in the book of Isaiah the prophet. Of the, the prophet. It says, A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight the paths for him. Every valley shall be filled, shall be filled in, and every mountain and hill be made low. The crooked roads shall be made straight, the rough ways made smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. So let's, let's look at the time of fulfillment first. Keep this, what we just read in mind. Time of fulfillment. We have two questions. What time is it? First of all, according to the people, and then according to God. According to the people, as we just read, no, not as we just read, but according to the people, it is a hopeless time and a dark time. Why? Because we know from other passages in the Bible that God had not interacted with the Israelites, Israelites in, a, in a long time, hundreds of years. God had not spoken. God had taken his spirit away from Israel. And it was, hopeless, it was a hopeless time because they did not know what to do. Now, remember, Israel was to be the light of the world. 
other Gentile nations would come to know God through Israel. So, it is fair to say that Israel, by this time, was the only religious nation. Okay? All of us were supposed to look at Israel to, to know God, to know who God is. Now, it is hopeless because God is not speaking. So, this religion is a dead religion. It means Israel is in need of a spiritual revival. And the Gentiles are looking at Israel and laughing. I, can you picture that? Because all their religion is now just rituals and don't do that, don't do this, but it doesn't mean anything. Okay? So that's, that is the time according to the people, according to Israel and the Gentiles. It's a dark time because the Gentiles don't know what to do. The Israels, the Israelites that are supposed to know don't know either. That's, what, that's the time. And then, according to God, it is the appointed time because he promises hundreds of years ago that at a, t- at a certain time, I will, let, I will let my people know that their sins are paid for. And he's saying at a certain time, I will send salvation. At a certain time, I will send the Messiah. Okay? So according to God, it is that time, the appointed time, the promised time. And still, according to God, it is judgment time because he he promises that at this time, he will draw lines. He will draw a line. And whoever chooses to cross the line will be saved. But whoever chooses not to cross the line will be left behind. You get it? Left behind. So whoever crosses the line will be saved. Whoever doesn't cross the line will be left behind. So according to God, it is the appointed time, it is judgment time, and it is salvation time. Now, judgment and salvation is almost the same thing because it's saying, as I save my people, they will have to choose me. Whoever refuses to choose me will be left behind. So according to God, it is appointed time, judgment time, and salvation time. See, uh, while these people were hopeless, when these people realized that there, there was nothing they could do to save themselves, the only hope they had was that God shows up. Now, for me, I think that's the best time for God to work. When we, when we realize there is nothing we can do to save ourselves, when we let go and let God, as Ralph just said here, when we let go and let God, that is the most perfect time for God to work. So then we look at uh, the figures of fulfillment. What we just talked about is the time of fulfillment. The figures of fulfillment are two. Now, we just read a lot of names, 
And I think there is more names in this chapter alone. But there's only two important figures of fulfillment. Now, we read about the Caesars. We read about Pontius Pilate, governor, governor of Judea. We read about all the, the other rulers. That is just to give you, uh, would you call that a historical something? To give you the historical uh, angle. Like he's saying, this was going on at the same time Pontius Pilate was governor. You, you get that? So for, in, I'll say for people that had been there when Pontius Pilate was governor, this was just a reminder. You remember when Pontius Pilate was a governor? In the 15th year of all that, this is when that was going on. So, figure number one, the figure of fulfillment. Figure number one is John the Baptist. John the Baptizer. Why is he an important figure of fulfillment? We, we just read that God promised that at a certain time, a voice will come calling out, a voice of one calling out from the wilderness. So he's pointing that when this voice shows up, that's when my salvation will be seen. And we see John being that voice. So why is John an important figure in the fulfillment? He is the promised voice calling out in the wilderness. So what John is doing, he is the forerunner of God's salvation. Now, it actually calls him king. He's the forerunner of the promised king, the promised Messiah, the promised Christ. Messiah and Christ are the same thing. What John is doing is, I've seen it when a king was to show up in, in a certain area. Now, I know that most of you have not seen a king physically, but you've probably seen a president, right? Because the American president is treated really, they're esteemed somehow. Not as, as high as a king is, but let's say, <clears throat> let's say Trump was visiting Christ's community next weekend, okay? What would be going on in this area by, say, Monday, by tomorrow? If Trump is to come here next weekend, <clears throat> what would be going on a few days before he shows up? Chaos. What kind of chaos, though? There would be, yes, there would be... Uh, the secret service will be all over the place. They'll be planting cameras in this building. There'll be more cameras than people, probably. Uh, streets will be cut off, you know. There'll be a lot of preparations like that. You know what that is called? It is called preparing the way for the president. Making way for the president. Now... That's what John is doing right here. He is preparing the way for the coming king. You get it? That is why John is important. And whatever he's saying, 
is, to, is towards that. Figure number two uh, of fulfillment is Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the promised king. Jesus is the Messiah that God promised. Jesus is the salvation that God promised. So, in a nutshell, Jesus is the promise. Okay? So those are the only two important figures. Now, the rest is important. But fulfillment, the figures of fulfillment, John the Baptist and Jesus. Okay? Okay. Now, now that you've understood that, let's continue. Verse 7. John said to the crowds, this is what John is saying, the important stuff. The crowds that were coming to be, baptized in, uh, to be baptized by him, he said, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? <clears throat> now produce fruit in keeping repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. Now that's important. We're going to look at it in a few minutes. Do not say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, that out of these uh, stones, God can raise children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Judgment. Judgment language. You get that? Every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. The people that were listening to John right then, they knew what he was talking about. What should we do then, they asked. John answered, any one of you who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Now, even tax collectors came to him to be baptized and they asked, teacher, what should we do? He said, do not collect more than you are required to. And then soldiers asked him also, what should we do? He replied, don't exhort money. And don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were, await were waiting. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. The people were waiting expectantly for hundreds of years. They had been waiting for God to talk again. And now they're wondering if John could possibly be the Messiah. But John answered them, I baptize you with water, but the one coming, the one who is more powerful than I will come the straps of whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork or pitchfork, you know what a pitchfork is? Yeah, Brady helped me look that up yesterday. The pitchfork, <laughs> uh, his, his pitchfork is at hand to clear his, to clear his 
thresh, English is hard, to clear his threshing floor to gather all the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This is very judgmental language here that John is using. He's saying, you know what winnowing is? Uh, okay. See, the pitchfork, when they harvested wheat, uh, there is wheat, and then there is chaff, uh, because it has husks around it. So they throw it in, in the air, and the wind will blow the chaff to the side, and wheat will remain. You get the picture? Where I come from, uh, if I bought rice from the shop, it will have chaff in it. So we call it sorting rice. Okay? So we pick out those small rocks or um, chaff in it. So we'll get a flat, say, plate, put a little, bit of, a little bit of rice on it, and I'll throw it in the air and blow. Now, as I blow, the chaff will fly out, and I'll keep the rice on the plate. That's what he's talking about. You get, you get it? And he's saying, afterwards, the chaff will be gathered and thrown into the fire. Judgment language. Um... And with, with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. So, the first thing, the first important thing to note is uh, the language John uses. In Isaiah, if you go back to Isaiah 40 and you read through that, the language used is make straight the path for our God. The language John uses is make, prepare the way for, for the Lord and make straight the paths for him. This is directly referring to whoever he's talking about as God. Because the language in the Old Testament is our God. And he's saying him. Which means he's, he's calling Jesus God. Now, that's important to find in the New Testament because such language was only used to refer to God, the God. You get it? So it's very important. Many people will say, oh, Jesus was not referred to as God in the first century, but we know that Luke was probably written within the first maybe 30 years after Jesus had died and left. So we know that this is in the first century and John is referring to Jesus as God. So it's, import, it's important. It's uh, key. Okay? And then we go to uh, G, uh, John's sermon, John's message. John preaches repentance. John preaches judgment. John preaches salvation for all. That's important. In repentance, he's preaching, fill the valleys and move the mountains. 
he's directly speaking to the people and he's talking about their personal lives. He's talking about the landscape of their personal life. When, he's talk, when he talks about valleys, he doesn't mean they should go out in the field and fill valleys, but he's using its figurative language. He says, whoever is coming is a king, and for you to receive him, you will need to fill the valleys in your life. Check your life and fill the valleys that need to be filled. Move the mountains that need to be moved for him. That's what he means. He's talking about the landscape of their personal lives. And then he talks about judgment. As we said, the line is drawn. He's saying the axe is already at the, at the foot of the tree. These trees are going to be cut down. The trees that don't produce good fruit are going to be cut down and thrown into the fire. That's judgment, judgment language. And he says the line is going to be drawn. Whoever chooses to cross it will be saved. But whoever refuses will be left behind. Whoever refuses will be left behind. That's the language he's, he's using. And then he talks about salvation for all. Now, what, I told the people yesterday about something I, that I find very interesting about languages. I don't know many languages. I know just a few. Uh, it's just a few. I know a little bit of English, a little bit of Luganda, Luganda, we speak Luganda in Uganda, <laughs> among others. But I know a little bit of Luganda. I know a little bit of, I know just a few words in Swahili. The, you know Swahili? In Lion King, the language there. And then a little bit of Greek, just a little bit. And then just a little bit of Hebrew. But it's interesting that in... Uh, the word all, A-L-L, all, in all these five languages that I mentioned means the same thing. All. That's what it means. And John is saying all people, which then means that it's not just you Israels, Israelites. It's not just the Jews. He's saying the salvation that is coming is for all people. And actually, the Greek Luke uses is for all flesh, which is very uh, specific. Is that a good word to use? Like, there is no much argument about what he means when he says all flesh. Okay? So he's saying... Do not, call, do not say to yourselves that we have Abraham as our father, therefore we'll be saved automatically. Because this is not just you. It's all people. And he's saying the salvation that is coming is not based on lineage. It is not based on uh, Abraham being your father. It's based on, your, on the landscape of your personal life. It is faith 
So he's saying, you better move the valleys, fill the valleys, and move the mountains in your lives for the salvation that is coming. Don't be there uh, thinking you're a good person, therefore you'll be saved automatically. He's saying, it is not, it is not because of, it, it, you won't be saved because of your pastor's faith or because of uh, sponsoring an African child or because of uh, donating to charity. He's saying it will be based on, your, on the landscape of your personal life. And then we see John arrested in chapter 19 because of his boldness and, and his straightforward message. He preached the same message to, to those in authority, which ended him, which uh, resulted in him being imprisoned. But then we get to the uh, very big question in 21, chapter 21, verse 21, sorry. When all the people were, were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Now, the big question that comes to my mind is, why is Jesus being baptized? He's Jesus, right? And then he answers it later. that He, he does that to fulfill righteousness. And then my, another question comes to my mind. What kind of righteousness? What do you mean by fulfilling righteousness? Do you ask yourself the same question? But Jesus is getting baptized and he says he gets baptized to fulfill righteousness. How? What does that mean? <clears throat> and so I asked uh, Pastor Matt... Uh, because he's one of the smart people that I could ask. <laughs> and I wasn't disappointed because he knew, he had an answer to that, and he explained it to me. He said, fulfilling righteousness is, is this. Israel was supposed uh, to do a certain job, and they failed, Okay? But for them to, to do the job, they were supposed to be baptized, and they were baptized when they crossed the Red Sea. You remember that? They crossed the Red Sea. That was their baptism. They went into the wilderness to be tested, and they were tested in the wilderness. And then as they, as they, as they went into the promised land, they were supposed to cast out evil. Because according to God, in God's eyes, the people that were already in the promised land did not know God. They lived pagan lives. So Israel was supposed to cast them out and then take 
over the land and build a fence around it, a fence of righteousness, purity. They were supposed to live a pure life, a righteous life, such that people from outside that saw how they were living would come to know God through them. That's the way Israel was supposed to be, a light to the Gentiles, a light of the world. So we see that they came into the promised land. They cast out the, the people that were there, though they failed somehow. And then we also remember that Israel was divided into 12 tribes, right? The 12 tribes of Israel. Okay. They failed miserably, and it would take Jesus to fulfill all that they had to do. We know that Jesus was baptized. We just read that. If you read farther, you'll find that uh, in chapter 4, Jesus was tested in the wilderness, you see? And then after that, you, you read about Jesus casting out demons, healing the sick, forgiving sins, restoring sight to the blind, which is a direct attack to, to evil. You get it? So after that, you read about Jesus choosing the twelve 12 apostles. You see how that looks really, really similar to, to how Israel was supposed to, to live? That's the fulfillment of uh, righteousness right there. Because Jesus would then, after doing all that, would then uh, do what Israel was supposed to do to bring salvation to restore the relationship between us and God. Do, are you following? Yes. So, and because of that, because of the restored relationship, because we know Jesus perfectly executed that plan, the plan that Israel would not. And because of the restored relationship, for me, I don't know about you, but for me, I know that I am not a fatherless child anymore. Because of the... Yeah, I'll let you start. Yeah. I know that I'm not a fatherless child anymore. And, but because of the restored relationship, I am now a grown Christian man. And I know with all my heart, with all my heart, I know that even if all friends would leave me, and I know that even if my father and mother may reject me, my God will receive me. I know that. And I know that in God, I have a father who will never leave me nor forsake me because he has promised so. So I pray.
that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forever. Amen. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.